Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. We'd like to welcome everybody to the 52nd uh, Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum podcast. And today we're talking with Eric Skye again, and we're talking about home recording. Sorry about my dog barking in the background. Um, yeah, tip one. <laughs> tip, dog out. tip one, don't do it. So um, we're going to jump right into this. Uh, Eric does a lot. Eric and I have worked together for a substantial period of time did a lot of recordings in his kitchen um i think some of them we even named back to the kitchen and then we kind of moved into the front room and um then eric kind of took over and started doing his own stuff and it, it it's it, it it's it's heartwarming to me because i don't have to drive 1200 miles but uh, on top of that it's uh it's uh, really great to see somebody take the reins and go and uh we have quite a recording aficionado with us so eric let's go Thanks, boss. All right. Well, uh, you got a question or you just want to start at the beginning? Well, yeah. I mean, if 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 I have an idea, you know, there's so many different ways you could go with this. You can use it as a scratch pad. You know, you can use your phone as a scratch pad or you can really set up and 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 go full in and buy real microphones and an interface and use a computer or a, one of these portable mixing desks or something like that. So if you're looking for an expensive hobby, this one is probably the deepest end of the ocean. And, and the most, more expensive than guitars? Oh yeah, it just it. There's no bottom, you know. There's just no bottom. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, I think like anything else, um, you know, your technique and understanding of what you're trying to do. Um, you know, it's way more important than gear. You know, I mean, it's fun to buy gear. It's fun to talk about gear and let's talk about gear. But, you know, that's just there to do the the capturing. But really, it's about uh, more than that. So like for me, the, the very top of the list for sure, it probably goes without saying, but it's worth mentioning quickly is the performance. You know, I mean, I, I think everything that I try to record, I try to at least have you know, if it's if it's improvisational music, like I like to, you know, kind of know the chord changes, have some, some, um, you know, some plan in place. But if it's more of a set arrangement, you know, I really try to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, with the metronome and and memorizing things because when you start recording, it's just like performing. I mean, you're just going to lose twenty percent because of, you know, an adrenaline or you know, trying to play like it doesn't matter when it does and. It, it can be really tricky. So preparation is everything. And if you can get a good performance, a good, sincere performance that just kind of has, you know, that thing, then that will, uh, that trumps everything. Excuse the, the expression. There. But, um, 
Yeah. So when I think about like, um, you know, um, the Goldberg variations in 1955 by Glenn Gould or Pablo Casals playing the cello suite in 1939 or maybe a 1929 a hotel room recording of Robert Johnson. Like none of these are like high fidelity. None of, they're all mono and scratchy. And I think the Robert Johnson thing, we all now know it was all sped up now, you know, none of these are great recordings by any stretch, but they're all goosebump inducing um moments you know musical moments so that i think it's just important to remember that that you're really trying to capture something and that comes way before the gear anyway well over but now do you have a question well eric how about I, I think a great place to start would be for you to tell us more about your personal journey and explorations and how you got to where you are with your recordings i mean where did you start? What did you find worked or didn't work? And what made you go to the next step or the next level? Well, I mean, I think like any middle-aged professional musician, that, that could be a whole hour in itself. But, it, you know, it's been a long, a long ride. And, and you know, I've, I guess I'll be probably making my ninth and 10th record. Well, I'm going to definitely be releasing my ninth record really soon. So probably starting my 10th. And I've done a lot of things for other people. So I don't know how many studios I've been in. I don't know how many, you know, hours all of that um, has added up to. But, you know, I've had a lot of experience. And of course, now in the internet age and being able to, you know, share what we do as artists on social media and stuff, you know, we, we're all learning how to record in our homes and, and, and on our phones. And and I've been along for that ride as, as, as much as anybody else. So, um, so I hope that's an okay answer. <laughs> I mean, I could, it's, it's just kind of, and then, you know, as time has gone on, I've just gotten more and more invested in it sort of personally as a, um, you know, as a side hustle. It's something that I like to do and something I like to do for other people too. I just find it's, it's really fun to capture stuff um, and try to make it happen. And I, and I have some great musician friends and that's, that's a big part of it. So um, anyway, I think like after the performance, the next thing, is of course the source you know it's I, I'll, I'll probably beat the photography uh analogies <laughs> into the ground but you know if you're taking a photo of something really great like that's a big you know step in the direction of success right so having a great guitar maybe a santa cruz guitar uh no having a great guitar and um it was a huge start right like what is it that you're recording being in tune and having fresh strings um and then right on the heels of that, of course, is the, the room. So a lot of people don't think how much the room is contributing to the sound. Um, so, you know, ideally you should drop, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand on getting your, your room perfectly set up with all the right materials and hiring a professional acoustician to come in and do all the measurements. Um, but most of us aren't gonna really do that. Um, so what we really need to do is figure out like sort of how we can make our existing spaces the best that they can be, right? So I think it's important, again, using the analogy to photography to think about where we're thinking about like how the light comes into the room and how we, you know, it's how it's illuminating what it is that we want to do. Um, thinking about the way sound moves around in a room. So right now I'm in my office, which I use for a little bit of mixing and some recording, but really this is a bad scenario. It's a it's a 10 by 10 by 10, I think, you know, it's a 
square craftsman room, right? So everything's just sort of ricocheting around. So you can't really see too much, maybe a little bit behind me, but I have maybe $500 worth of two inch thick acoustic panels. And that makes a really big difference. So if someone wanted to just get their feet wet into slightly more professional sound, that would be something I would do, particularly if you're in a small, lively room like this. So if we think about how a room contributes, like two ends of the spectrum might be, uh, you just sold your house, it's totally vacant. Now you're standing in your living room with your hardwood floors and you clap your hands. And that thing that you hear up there is called flutter. That's like these really short, quick echoes, like a, again, an empty house with hardwood floors. Or on the other end of the spectrum, imagine your, your, your living room uh, coat closet has all your coats in it that you've ever owned. And then you go in there and you clap your hands and, and your clap just goes, you know, it just, it just completely goes away, right? So that's a really, really dead room, right? And then you can have that, that sort of really, really live room. Somewhere in the middle is probably something where your guitar is going to sound good and the microphone is picking things up. So that if you have that in your head, that can be a good start, right? Like, so putting these little two inch panels around my room or maybe having a lot of books or um, cloth furniture or something like that, that's going to eliminate that initial flutter that you don't want to hear. Um, but having too much crap in a small room, <laughs> you know, a lot of blankets and heavy shag carpeting and et cetera, et cetera, is going to have that, is going to lean more towards that coat closet thing where you're losing your high end and your detail and stuff. So these are all just things to think about. If you have a big room in your house, um, all of this is less of a factor because you are going to strike your guitar and that sound's going to leave the guitar and have enough space in front of you to dissipate before it ricochets off the wall in front of you and then back into the microphone for a second time right that's the problem that's what you're trying to avoid so as i'm talking into this microphone right now it's a pretty straight shot you can see if you're on youtube it's right in front of me but you're also hearing it to some degree off the window over here that untreated door over there and when the more of that that comes in a second time delayed the more you get what's called comb filtering which in basically just means your sound is getting smaller and smaller so big room you can kind of get away with you know, not having to think too much about all of this because you're not going to have that initial sort of first reflection coming back into the microphone as much. Um, small room, you really got to think about this stuff because it's like if I threw a rubber ball in here, it's just bouncing everywhere, right? And each time that it comes back through a mic a second or a third time, it, it's introducing all kinds of problems. So I know this is maybe getting a little boring and getting away from the fun stuff like what microphone should I buy? But this is, you know, this is it, right? Again, it's like, it's like a photo. If you can get a good photo with good light, then you don't have to do as much in terms of, uh, you know, adding vibrancy or sharpening or all of the stuff in the, uh, you know, that we used to edit it. So, so Eric, a quick question. I was just gonna say a quick question. What I've seen advertised are these like little half round screens that you put behind the microphone um what are your thoughts on those i mean uh, uh, those are advertised as solving many of these problems yeah well you know um that's that's some good marketing um you know i'm 
I'm not, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think that if I was doing voiceover work and I was going to be really close to a microphone like I am right now, and I had that little thing in front of me, I could imagine that that would be somewhat helpful. But if you're trying to make a good acoustic guitar recording, which I'm imagining people listening to this might be wanting to do, then you probably want to be about a foot, maybe less, maybe more. We could talk about that in a minute from maybe two microphones. So you're picking up a much wider swath of what's happening in the room. So I don't think it's possible for to contain that large of a picture from just a small screen. Um, you can get sort of bigger kind of, um, uh, there's one company I can't remember and it, it's not important, but, but it'll make something that sort of folds out. Like you can imagine um, panels that are maybe five foot tall and, and, and five feet wide, you know, and, and that would open up in front of you um, in a way that kind of would block that big of a sonic picture coming out of it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think that's such a great idea. You know, I, I, to go back to your to go back to your room thing, um, if you need any any um, support on that, I understand that Robert Johnson's guitar in 1929 he faced the wall mm. when they recorded that, and then just look at "Let It Be," and yeah. and and realize that there's a live PA in that room, so they can hear what they're doing. Yeah, and and then look at the way that they just took this kind of room and made it into something. And, and those rooms are, are, are I, I think they're spiritual places. Um, I, I, I've gotten to be in, in Columbia and, and mm. record plant and all these places. And they are very, very special places. And audibly, you notice a difference when you walk into a room that's treated. Yeah, absolutely. Or a, tr or a room that just has a certain thing. And some people just want to go and, and find that. Um, but most of us are never going to have are not going to record in Abbey Road. I probably won't be invited. And, you know, um, so, you know, and it's just in terms of our house, it's just the main message I have to people that want to record stuff at home anyway, is to uh, really think about this and maybe consider some treatment. You know, I've done some in here. My wife, Lauren, is always saying, you know, you just don't make the house weird. You know, I mean, you, you can take it pretty far, um, but Anyway, that's, you know, would, that would, would you recommend building up like trying a couple panels and then moving them around in the room? And then if you if that's not enough and listening to what you're doing and then if that's not enough, add or subtract for absolutely everything that we might talk about today, it's going to come back to listening, you know, um, so, yeah, you know, make a recording that has your voice saying something like the panels are three feet away from me and you strum a chord and you move them back. And then the next take is the panels are five feet away from me. Um, yeah. When we talk about mic microphone positions, everything you want to do that so that you sit and listen to stuff and ask yourself, you know, the important question is, is this better than what I just heard? It's actually a, sometimes a harder thing to answer than you might think, but yeah, listening is, is definitely the most important. Um, but anyway, so you do the best you can. You do the best you can and try to eliminate the flutter on one end and try to eliminate, you know, the the sort of anemic dead sound as much as you can and find something in the middle. And then after that, it's really about, um, you know, where do you put the microphones and how many of them and, and stuff like that. So that's, 
you know, now that we've got our tune kind of together the best that we can, we got a good guitar and it's in tune and we're controlling the room to the best of our abilities, then you want to, you know, stick a microphone in front of your guitar, right? And, you know, this can, this could be your iPhone, you know, that is a good way to make a video. I'll think, I just want to make the point that to go to the next level, you really probably want an external microphone. It's not that the iPhone or any other smartphones camera isn't good, it is. The problem is that it's stuck to the camera. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'll try to be descriptive for people who are listening, but I'm holding my iPhone like, you know, as far away from me as I can so that it could maybe take a picture of me and my guitar. But now the microphone is just too far away from the guitar. So you can't really have it both ways. So um, ideally you'd wanna have a separate microphone or maybe even a microphone on a on, on a cord or something. I don't know if that exists, but really the next level thing is to have a separate, separately recorded audio and do a little research on how you can put them back together in post. You could do that on, you know, iMovie or, or something like that pretty easily these days. But if you have, um, you know, if you if that's what you want to do, then you then you want to get some microphones, right? And that's that's a whole other podcast. But um, I generally feel like if you're recording solo guitar, you probably want two microphones. A lot of people would say they have to be exactly the same, and I might push back on that. Um, stereo is a little bit more about differences, um, so having some different sounds on each side actually can be a good thing. But that's a argument for another day. But having two microphones so you're getting a stereo image of a guitar it's just always going to sound way better um, in my opinion than mono however if you're going to record two guitars like i might with a friend like jamie or something then then we do want to think mono it's actually dual mono right you have a microphone i have a microphone or maybe we're both going into the same microphone um but i think for solo guitar i almost always want to hear it stereo and for me personally, it's usually, if it's only going to be one place, it's going to be around the 12th fret or where the body joins the neck. I think that's pretty kind of the standard spot, maybe something like eight to 12 inches away, but it just depends. That's going back to what we were talking about earlier. You might want to make a recording of yourself strumming a chord and tell yourself, this is seven inches, this is eight inches, this is nine, this is 10, this is pointing at the 12th fret, the microphone is level. Now the microphone is looking down on the 12th fret. Now it's looking up. And this is, might be 30 different little short recordings that you have to go back and listen to. But if you do this process, A, it can be kind of nerdy fun, and B, you'll come out of it having a very clear picture or a clear idea rather of where to point the microphone on that particular guitar. But the further you are away, the more of that room that's gonna sound, come into play. So if you're in Abbey Road, back it up, man. You want the world to know you're in Abbey Road and it's a great sounding room. If you're in a crappy sounding room, that's all you've got right now, or the dog's barking, <laughs> you know, move it closer to the source and you'll get less of that, that room. But you have to just kind of figure that out. And if I'm going to use a second microphone, it's usually going to be down around the bridge, probably just behind it and just below it, which on its own isn't always like the best sound. It can be a little on the mid-rangey sound, but it's a nice sound. And when you put the two of them together, that's probably my personal favorite way of recording solo guitar. So you're getting what's called a space pair, and it's a combination of both those things.
do you, uh, do you encounter any kind of phase relationship or anything like that when you're yeah great question so for people who don't know if you have two microphones or more the if the sound source hits one of them slightly before the other because you didn't take your time and put the microphones of equal distance from the source then you get something that's called phase cancellation because it's they're arriving at different times and so this is something you should probably look up and not listen to my kind of you know dumb <laughs> explanation but essentially there's a couple of different kinds of phase cancellation but mainly this is happening because of arrival times and some of those frequencies are frequencies are kind of like canceling out um the frequencies of the other microphone so basically if you when you have two microphones you're thinking this is great if i had three it would be even better if i had four it'd be even better it's a logical way of thinking but it's actually uh, becomes way more problematic because of these phase relationships so two for me is plenty <laughs> and um the more out of phase you are the smaller it's going to sound so you really want to take time and have them equal distance so um i made a video about how i recorded the record with jamie stillway at home in the mid-range and i talked about how i like to use chopsticks because these chopsticks that i have are exactly uh nine inches which for me has been about right for my particular guitar and microphones and rooms that i'm typically in and so i always take a time before every take to, to put that chopstick between the top of my guitar and the, the grill in front of the capsule of the microphone. Uh, and then if you do that on both sides, then you're gonna eliminate phase as much as possible. But there are microphone tech, there are different stereo techniques. That's probably a whole other podcast too, but you can look those up like um, mid sides, kind of a more esoteric uh, thing that I like to do, my friend uh, too. And my friend, uh, Doug Young has a good video on that. You can type in Doug Young acoustic guitar mid side recording. But there's also ORTF and um, you probably heard of XY. Where the, but these are all based on having those capsules really close together so that no matter what, the sound hits them at the same time. Um, but I like the spaced pair because that's you've kind of got a spaced pair of ears, <laughs> right? So it's kind of how we already hear things. Um, so hopefully that makes sense. Um, that's, yeah, yeah. It I, I would, I would, I would clarify microphones now. I think because there really are two different types. You know, there are condensers and there's and there's cardioids. And uh, yeah, there's a, a million different types of microphones. But I think getting that understanding, a, a, a basic in that, might be a good, a good. Yeah, great. Um, okay. Um, briefly, there are two. Basically, there are two types of microphones. There are condenser microphones, um, uh, sometimes called capacitor microphones, but we all know them as condenser here on this side of the uh, Atlantic. And there are dynamic microphones. And dynamic, I'm actually going to fold ribbon microphones into that because they kind of work like dynamic microphones, essentially. So, But I think someone else might say there are condensers and dynamics and ribbons. I think dynamics are... Um, you know, like the SM57 or 58 would just be the quintessential thing. It's, it's it's an unbelievable microphone, sounds great. And if there's ever like a nail sticking up on stage, you can hammer it down and it'll still do the gig. You know, it's just, it's a great, they um, used to have to be right on it to get a good sound with a quiet instrument like a guitar, you know, cause it's all about the volume of the source. You'll never hear somebody complain that they can't get uh, a good live sound 
through an SM57 with their, you know, their tenor saxophone <laughs> or their snare drum, but on a quiet guitar, it, you, you do need to be right up on it. So it's taking a very close up picture um, and it has great rejection. So it's really good in a live gig because it's, you, it's not picking up your friend, the sax player 10 feet away as much as a, as a condenser is. But I think for me personally, there's, there's, there's great examples of people who have used things like 58s and 57s and other dynamics for their acoustic guitar. There's definitely great examples of that. But for me and the sound that I like, more of a big high fidelity kind of sound, it's really the condenser microphone being something that can be um, you know, almost a foot away from the guitar or more and, and have much higher frequency in both direction response, you know, is, is, um, you know, that's the HD version, right? <laughs> it's not the little sort of black and white TV that that an SM57 can be. Again, that can be a super cool thing. I'm just saying, you know, for me personally, um, that sort of high definition, big picture thing of a condenser microphone is it. Uh, I have a soft spot for ribbon microphones. Um, I haven't actually used many successfully, but I love the idea of it. And 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 I, you know, I'm I've bought and sold a few along the way, and I definitely um, I've had some a couple good experiences with those. But that's a whole that's a whole other thing. That's a it's um it's a very high fidelity microphone also, but it has like a little bit softer top end. It's not quite as bright and shiny sounding. And I think we've all become accustomed to a lot of recordings that are just have like a very detailed high end. And uh, this is almost that, but it's a little softer. Um, and I think it's a lot of, it helps with what a lot of people complain about with, especially more like 90s and early aughts digital recording when people would say, I like vinyl more because it's warmer and, and digital is cold. Um, you know, a lot of that was because of earlier conversion stuff. But now, you know, digital sounds great. That's a whole other podcast, I guess. But sometimes <laughs> you miss that sort of slightly smoother, sound um uh things like a tube preamp or a, a ribbon microphone can kind of bake that into the digital cake you know so I, that's a whole other thing but i generally use condenser microphones i generally use um, a small diaphragm um condenser i've had a whole bunch i won't say which ones i think you should get you should get the ones that you like or that you can afford um but that's usually going to give you the best representation of your acoustic guitar um it, it, so it Keep I'm sorry. I, I just want to keep him on this on this thought that these the condenser microphones do require external power. That's right. right. Yeah, phantom power through the cable that's plugged in from your interface. Right. Right. That's that's what I was going to say. Is, is so that if you want to use a condenser mic, then that obviously means you have to be more selective in terms of your interface that you're going to be using to do the recording. But the other thing I wanted to ask is is well, two things. One, some microphones are advertised or promoted as vocal mics as opposed to instrument mics. Maybe if you understand, could explain some of the differences there. And the other thing is when you're out shopping for a great guitar, you can go into a music store and take half a dozen off the wall and sit there and play them and listen to them and whatever. You can't quite do that with mics. Do you have any recommendations as to how one goes about evaluating mics without essentially buying a mic store? Yeah, I mean, certain, um, um, God, I'm trying to think, I think there's a website, I'm pretty sure I've got this right, called Audio Test Kitchen, 
which has a whole bunch of sample recordings that were done very honestly. They don't, you know, have the compression and reverb, and their uh, the volume is normalized because you know louder is always better. Um, and you can listen to the same loop of a certain vocal, uh, and there's guitar, there's probably drums too. I I only skimmed this once, but but then yeah, you can try just a whole ton of different uh, microphones that way. You know, it's it's. It's like a lot of things in life, though. I mean, the way it's going to react in your room to your guitar, to your style, like maybe you're a louder player than I am. And so you need this and I need that. And, you know, so something like Audio Test Kitchen or other online retailers like maybe Sweetwater that they have some, if you dig through their site, they have stuff like that where you can do some comparative listening, you know, that can that and do some, you know, do some um you know, some online, you know, internet uh, crowdsourcing, go to places like Gearspace and things like that, where you can ask questions on forums and, and narrow it down to ideas, um, a couple of different ideas, but ultimately you probably are going to go down some rabbit holes of buying and selling stuff to find what, what works for you. Um, Audio test kitchen, compare the sound of 300 microphones. Oh, there you go. Okay. So there I was right. Ha. Huh, all right. So cool. Um, I think, did, what was the first question? You had two. You had two there. Well, the the distinction between a a vocal oh, mic, yeah, a right. instrument. Um, I mean, for the type of mics that I use, I don't. I mean, I think in live sound, like that can be a little bit more of a thing. But even then, a lot of times it's still marketing. Like that, like a fifty-seven and fifty-eight are exactly the same microphone, but they have a different um, grill <laughs> on them. But but actually the grill on the 58 is different. It has foam in it. The other one doesn't. And it's more, you know, it's this sort of bulbous thing that so it's more off of the diaphragm. And so they actually show different tests. You know, if you look at the, the spectrum analysis on the website, they show that they test differently, but they're exactly the same microphone. Um, so I think for live sound, that might be a different thing. But I mean, like I'm talking into a 414 right now. I mean, good God, this thing's been used on everything you know you can possibly imagine every musical instrument but also probably for uh, stage sound to pick up trucks in a commercial about trucking you know <laughs> so, you know, my, <laughs> microphones aren't necessarily discriminating against different sounds but um anyway so hopefully that's sort of helpful you know eventually though you also touched on this before you asked those two questions and and i think it's a good segue into the whole idea of an interface because a lot of people don't know what the heck that is what what they can do and, and what kind do I need? And so the important thing to understand is that you probably want to get your guitar sound or whatever it is you're recording into your computer. And by computer, you know, maybe it's your iPad or your you want to get it into a digital realm. Um, if you want to go to tape <laughs> or wax or or whatever else. <laughs> the jam might be here in 2022 those those are available to you i'm not the one to i've made plenty of tape recordings and and i personally do not want to go back um, <laughs> um i i don't you know and i just don't want to go back and i'll argue about sound all day with anybody who wants to i guess but whatever we can all i think we can all agree that the process was um expensive and time consuming and and digital is great now so um so how are we going to get our, the sound of our guitar through the microphone into the computer or iPad or whatever the hell else it is that's going to be um, a digital um, receptacle for, for what it is we're doing? 
And the answer is the microphone, even the condenser microphones, which you said do need power, and that's true. And every, by the way, every, uh, I don't think there's a preamp available. I mean, an interface available right now that doesn't have phantom power. It's pretty basic stuff at this point. But anyway, um, it's still a very, very tiny, tiny, tiny signal. So all microphones have to go through a preamp. So it used to be that these were, and they still could be sold as separate things. You've got a preamp that takes the tiny little signal and makes it into something that we can actually hear. And then we have the converter, which takes that tiny signal and turns it into ones and zeros so it can live in the digital realm, right? An interface is actually both of those things combined. It's like a, a prosumer thing. So you don't have to buy like a separate, maybe Neve preamp and then a separate converter. So this is where it gets really confusing to people. So an interface typically does all of that stuff for you um, and including comes digital on the way out. So your headphones, I'm wearing headphones right now, that's plugged into my interface. So it's, it's taking analog information on the way in uh, and then analog and then creating digital information well taking digital information and turning it analog into your headphones on the way out or your speakers right so this interface is a pretty handy product to have because it's kind of this all-in-one package um and again you could have standalone separate components for that and again going back to the very beginning if you want to have an expensive hobby this is the, this is where the big boys play you know if you get um maybe a um uh a Doug Fern uh, preamp, ten thousand dollars, and that's that's with no that's no conversion, and you know <laughs> I think that's right. I might be maybe I'm exaggerating the price, but it's pretty easy to go nuts with stuff like that. The good news is that interfaces, especially now, really sound great. I mean, um, earlier when we kind of were hinting at like the sort of you know. Uh, digital recordings have the reputation for being colder or not as, you know, be more sterile, all of that. That was really about, because they're still using analog microphones and they're still using organic sounds, right? It's just how it's getting to the, um, to the hard drive, right? Is that conversion, right? Not that I'm really an expert on this, but um, that conversion has gotten so much better and so much cheaper that, that you can go out and buy, buy like a $250 interface now that maybe 10 years ago, that same model really did kind of have that kind of colder, more digital sound, but now it sounds great, you know? Um, and the preamps tend to be really good. Again, if you wanna buy standalone preamps to go in there, you can, and you can get tubes and they could have, you know, fancy wires that you can only buy in Spain, or, you know, you, you can go as far as you want with that whole thing, right? But, um, but, the, but the inexpensive, uh, consumer products now are, are really, really good in the last couple of years. Like I'm right now using a Audient um, ID 14 that um, Mark II, <laughs> I think it's very new. And I spent $300 for this and, and anything that you hear of mine right now is just, that's it, you know? And I use that for listening and I use that for recording. So it's a great time to, to do that. And I think most of them are gonna have two channels. And I think that that's a great, way to go for the home recording enthusiast that wants to make a stereo recording of their guitar. Four channels can be great, can be great too. I mean, I don't ever use four microphones, but if I did, I've had four channel things and it, it can be nice. Um, 
But what's really nice about a lot of these, like this unit I just described is it's bus powered. So you can plug it into the back of your, you can plug it into your laptop and be just completely free of the wall, right? Because your microphones are being powered from uh, the, the interface, which is being powered from the, the laptop, which if, as long as you charged it, <laughs> you can go sit in your backyard and make a recording with, you know, your studio microphones into a great preamp and interface. So that's a really neat and exciting thing, I think. Something I, you know, people who like me who recorded in the 80s or something could have never imagined, right? Um, but yeah, you can get four channels or more channels. You know, if you're a drummer, you probably want to get eight, you know, uh, but that kind of thing won't be bus powered. Hopefully um, that makes sense. So it's in the computer, but it's just zeros and ones. So then there's a program. Yeah, you get out, you know, your, your, your reading glasses and your razor blade and you cut it out. Oh, wait, no, wait, that was. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, at that point, you, you need something called a DAW or a DAW, <laughs> Digital Audio Workstation. Isn't that right? Is that what it's called? Um, is that what it stands for? Um, so there are a bunch of them now. And um, I like Logic because I'm an Apple guy. And um, I also like that you, it's $200 and you own it for the rest of your life, <laughs> as opposed to I'm, I'm, I'm kind of really opposed to like subscription software stuff. So I'm just a curmudgeon that way. I, I'm, I'm not going to go there. So um, I like that a lot, but I'm very familiar with Pro Tools, which is kind of an industry standard. There are so many others now. Um, I'll just, you know, maybe someone would want to argue this, but they really all do basically the same thing. There's going to be no sounds difference because it is ones and zeros. They they have different maybe different abilities and what you do with it. With what you do with those ones and zeros is very different. But just in terms of like the raw capture or anything, it's 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 not going to make any difference. So um, just find one that you like that you can afford that you can understand, and you could. Um, they can be really deep and intimidating. So you remember that when we're just recording our guitar or our voice, or we're making an acoustic recording, you don't need to know about everything that it can do. You probably need to know about 10% of what it can do um, because these things are deep as the ocean. So if you can't you know, manipulate the envelope on a loop of a Rhodes you know, sample, that's okay, right? Um, so you just really need a you know, kind of a basic thing. GarageBand comes free on every Mac if you're an Apple person, and that is basically um, Logic Lite, and it's super great. It's super powerful. It's just maybe a little harder to do editing. And if you're like me and you need some editing to, to sound your best, you know, then then um, uh, you know that's a thing. So so yeah, that's a DAW. Um, does that make sense? Oh yeah, I think it, it it's a good you know. It, if you're trying to connect the hip bone to the thigh bone to the leg bone to the to the ankle bone you know yeah. all, that, that 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 that's a you've taken us down a pretty good path there yeah and i think then once you know if you get let's say you got logic or you got pro tools or or i'm trying to remember some of the other ones there's so many great ones reaper i know a lot of people love that one um and uh Anyway, once you got one of those, I would just spend some time on YouTube or you can do a paid site. Like I love the website Groove3. It's kind of a weird name, but they have, you can pay like $15 a month. They have tons of stuff, but but you could do like um, a really nicely professionally made start to finished, maybe four hour course 
on logic, you know, and again, you don't need to know all of it. You just need to know enough for basic tracking and basic mixing. So the things that I would really focus on is EQ, compression, reverb, and I'm going to say limiting, although I think that, that really kind of could get folded into compression. And maybe if you really want to put some more weight on the bar and impress your friends a little bit, maybe learn a little bit about saturation. But those sort of four basic those are the the toys that I'm playing with to take those ones and zeros and try to make a nice acoustic guitar sound. So equalization, of course, is changing um, or filtering, we might say, um, the the basic, you know, the bass, the treble, the middle, all of the different frequencies. And, and you can use um, your DAW's native equalizer plug-in right that's the the little program that it'll come with it'll have it'll probably have a couple of different kinds or you can buy this is another rabbit hole which you can buy third-party equalizers that will exist in your daw those are like third-party plugins and i i'm kind of a big fan of fab filter myself which is a which is a great little company that makes very um intuitive like kind of interface you can sort of drag this up and drag this down but no matter what eq you end up using i would say as a, an acoustic artist um it goes back to best practices in the beginning of the chain so getting that room thing right that we were ranting about earlier making sure your guitar is in tune and finding the right mic position moving your mic back and forth one inch is you know way better than anything you could do with the equalizer so all of those test recordings you did where you were talking to yourself about this is five inches this is four inches now it's level now it's facing up now it's facing down that's really where you want to get your equalization it's all it's, again like photography it's all about getting a, the best possible capture so if you end up uh, not needing any eq which is the thing um there's times that just don't use the EQ, then then Yahtzee, you know, congratulations, you did it. It's like a it's like a perfect tax return. You don't owe, they don't owe you. <laughs> um, and that that, sh that should be your goal. If your if your recording requires your EQ to look like um, you know a piece of modern art, <laughs> because you're you've got parametric bells and and uh, cuts and dips and all kinds of things, then maybe something happened um, not so good at the beginning of the process, I think. So, um, but, you know, little things like, like, like pulling some of the bass out to get, a, you know, the sound of stomping your foot on the floor, that's one for me, or maybe if you're digesting a burrito, you know, any kind of like low rumble or something. Um, sometimes I'll control the high end a little bit if things sound a little harsh or something. But again, the best EQing is really in the capture. It Compression is the second thing um, that I think we should be thinking about as acoustic musicians. And a lot of people with more ex you know, experience that are experienced or have more experience than me out there might be thinking, no, I don't use compression, but I really like compression. Um, but essentially the best way to think about it, and this is a deep topic, so I'm just going to skim it barely, but to think about it as an automated or an automatic volume control machine, right? So if i uh, if i talk really loud and we looked at that as a waveform like suddenly you just saw it made a peak right it just it, it sort of that place where i talked really loud or strummed a chord really loud made a peak and the compressor is going to bring that peak down and that's sort of 
by default sort of bringing the lower stuff up a little bit. So that's what it means to compress is just to kind of hold the top down a little bit and then we can turn the overall volume up. And so it's sort of getting smaller. So imagine that scene in Star Wars where they're in the garbage <laughs> compressor, right? And the walls are coming in. Um, but what's neat about that is that you can think, you can make things more loud more often and louder is better. <laughs> no, but again, like you don't wanna to go too nuts with it, but it, it can make things really nice. So, um, especially if you're gonna do multiple instruments, because it's really easy for a guitar, for that really quiet part and that really loud part to feel like it's coming and going. So imagine if you went to go see your favorite band at a club and the singers just singing their heart out, but every once in a while they took three steps back from the microphone and then all of a sudden they were an inch away. That's that sort of coming and going feeling and compression can be something to, to kind of keep them a little bit more in place, right? So, um, but for what we're trying to do, this sort of very natural acoustic recording, just taking a little bit of the peaks off the top, um, I think can be a nice thing, like a dB or so. So that's something that you can learn about. But to me, that's a necessary ingredient. Um, and then usually third on that list is reverb, right? Because your room, um, you know, probably doesn't sound that great. <laughs> and the microphone being 10 inches away from the source or so is isn't really even if your room does sound good isn't bringing that much into it and think when things are really really dry it can sound not natural right so you're actually using an effect to make something sound more natural people think if i just if i use no eq no compression and no reverb then it'll be really natural well that's not a thing right because you're listening through transducers and like nothing about this is natural right that's an illusion um so what we're trying to do is kind of create natural you know um so a little bit of reverb can be really nice I, and this is obviously a deep subject too i'll just say my own opinion and i have plenty of stuff in my history to contradict this <laughs> but um but um is this is you know you don't want to overdo it basically is what i'm trying to spit out here uh, i think that that's the number one sign of an amateur recording is too much reverb or inappropriate reverb, especially when it, when it comes to video. You know, if you're, you're seeing a video of somebody and they're playing the guitar on the beach and you and it sounds like they're in a cathedral, it's jarring, right? It's just wrong. And that's obviously an extreme example, but the more you can get the ambient, the, this sort of artificially created ambient sound to match, in the case of video, what we're seeing the more we see it as authentic, right? Um, and I think with even with a recording that you might be listening to just as an album with your eyes closed, um, you know, we have actually, actually have a lot more leeway there and you can you can do whatever you want. But for me personally, I, I don't, there's not a gig where I'm playing like in Grace Cathedral all by myself, right? Like that's not really a thing. So I think about what will my guitar sound like in this room, but bigger, you know? I, I, we are making movies here, you know, we want it to be bigger than life, but, but sort of natural too. So I, I feel like I'm rambling on this. So I just wanted to say, re, be careful with reverb. That's basically my message. It's really easy to cross the line and sound amateurish by having either too much reverb or just like a really inappropriate reverb. So, so, pay, so pay attention to that. I think the, 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 the key words are do no harm and try to record it as flat as you possibly can. Because once you, if you record it, 
into your DAW and everything with reverb, you cannot take that off when you've done it. So, you, you know, you try to you try to build through that process. You, you don't do that. And I want you to talk just really quickly about levels, because, yes, louder is better. But we need to give them a standard of between where should they be hitting it, you know, to be safe. Okay, yeah, on your DAW's peak meter, when if you first grab your guitar and you kind of strum what you think is going to be the loudest thing that you're going to do, I think minus six would be you know, because zero is the digital ceiling. And when you go past that, unlike in the analog world, where you kind of, the needles are bouncing off, you know, and you're just kind of hitting it hard. You're getting some of that yummy saturation and stuff. In the digital world, zero is is the is the end of the world. It's where you fall off and burn, you know, because the digital <laughs> version is not, is not yet. It's, 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 you know, it's evil and bad. I don't know. That said, there may, maybe someone's made an art form out of it. But so we really want to be careful of zero. So minus six or something like that, uh, or maybe minus 10. The thing is, is that now with these great inexpensive kind of consumer interfaces or, you know, they have such good dynamic range that it's way better to err on the other side. You know, if you, if you don't go anywhere near minus six, if you, whatever, you can bring it up and chances are it's going to be you know unless it's super 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 quiet then you might be bringing up some the noise floor right but the noise floor in these things is so quiet now that it, it's just just be on the safe side um you can get uh, you can download for free i don't like i know logic doesn't have one but uh, you can get like a waves plugin for free you can get a uv meter if you want just to have a digital uv meter um because Back in the day, you know, minus 18, zero meant minus 18. And so you can have it calibrated or however you want it to be. And then if, if you like to look at the meter, you can do it that way. But that's that's where I'm usually shooting for. And then I'll usually have a level meter in my DAW session so that after it comes out of the EQ and before it goes into the compression or something, I might check that I'm still... I might have it listen to like a little bit of my recording and make sure I'm around minus 18 because a lot of those plugins just kind of like it around there. But again, if you get that wrong, <laughs> if, if you err on the quieter side, if you're nowhere near zero, you can still make it up on the back end. And we can we can talk about that in a minute, too. But um, well, we're talking about it now. That's I said after after EQ and compression. Uh, and reverb, usually the last thing in the chain, if you're not going to hand this off to a mastering engineer, instead, you're just, you know, just trying to make the best recording you can, you're putting it up on social media, this is what I do 90% of the time, then you're going to want to use a limiter as kind of the last stop. And that's like a compressor, except for that ceiling that we talked about earlier, brick wall, <laughs> it doesn't go any higher. And so what you can, that's where you're going to raise up your volume. And the limiter just limits where it can go. Now you keep pushing into the ceiling and, it, and it'll get more and more crunchy sounding. You know, it's obviously not that great. You don't want to, you don't want to go that loud, but, but what you can do is you can, um, you can put a, a, a level meter at the very end. And what you're shooting for is probably about minus 14 or so, maybe minus 12 on an acoustic guitar recording. That's what I'm usually going for. That's integrated. So um, I know we might be getting a little bit in the weeds here. I'll, I'll try to make this brief, but but at the end of the digital recording process, you want to have this level meter. A lot of times your limiter will will have that in it. Mine does. I use the FabFilter um, 
one and uh, I can't remember what it's called though, but um, it'll have that where you can read the luffs, what the luffs. Um, but that's that's kind of the industry standard for me measuring volume, I mean, uh, output volume. So when you put your stuff onto Spotify or Apple or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or any of these things, they're usually shooting for minor four, minus 14. If you deliver them something much hotter, then they're going to limit it. And may, they might not be as careful about it as you are, right? But if you deliver something at, say, minus 24, and you put it put it up on YouTube for all your friends to 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 uh, to enjoy. And every time you click on it, you're like, God, it doesn't sound anything uh, like Eric's recording, maybe or some some other person's recording because you really delivered something too quiet. So you really want to get that right. You know, you're using that the gain on the limiter to kind of push it up around minus 14. Um, but you know, if you if you want to make it like a hip hop record and make it like minus six or something, just know that that's going to happen by bringing the ceiling down. Um, so you know your guitar sounds not going to be so pretty. So it's kind of finding that sweet spot. It's kind of a deep question. Um, all of this falls under the heading of gain staging. You could go on YouTube and type in proper gain staging for, and then insert the name of your DAW and learn about this. But it's like how, it's. You know, it's like water pressure. It's like, you know, what's that pressure on the way in? <laughs> and then what's it going to be on the way out? And it gets confusing because like the, the metering is different, but that's essentially what's happening. I hope that sort of makes sense. It's, it's where I've had a lot of trouble just, just playing, uh, playing out where you have the volume control on the guitar, you have the volume control on the preamp, then you have the volume control on the amp. And <laughs> it's like, whoa, where do I adjust all this stuff to get that good sound? And it takes uh, some playing around. Okay, good. Well, you know, let me just use that as a quick jumping off point for uh, um, a little sidebar here. Just, to, you know, my general feeling about all of that stuff and other people feel very differently and, and, and that's great. But I am, I function the best when I think like a minimalist about pretty much everything in life. Uh, but when it comes to like, I mean, life sounds a little bit, um, of a different thing, but we can use that as an analogy. Um, I think you want the straightest wire possible. If you have a volume control on your guitar and on your preamp and on your, you know, on the DAW in the beginning and the end, and you know, if you have four, we call those gain stages. If you have four or five different gain stages, you know, good luck. I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. So you want to set up your system in my opinion, from from the get go to, you know, think of about it as um, a string with two Dixie cups on the end, you know, <laughs> so one Dixie cup is the speakers that you're going to hit your ears or the microphones or the loudspeakers, you know, and the other end is is your microphone, the, the straighter that <laughs> that line is, um, the better. So I would I would eliminate stuff. So, um, you know, like, I, I mean, this is totally a off topic thing, but if I was, if I had a, I'd only actually use pickups on my guitar, but, but if I had a pickup on my guitar and I had a volume control on that, I would just probably leave that up all the way or just leave it, you know, and I would just find whatever like unity, you could look that up. What's like, what's unity gain on all these devices? Uh, let's just pretend it's zero, put them all at zero um, and just control it all just in one place. But ideally eliminate as much of that crap as you, can and even yeah. in the realm it's it's the same thing like i i really don't do much more than what i just said i i know i have some online tutorials that that can't 
you know that contradict that a little bit but like the the record i just rec the second record that i made with jamie stillway that's going to come out in january i think um i mean there's like no eq there's just like one gain one db of compression and a little bit of reverb um and i i think it really sounds great because it's that it's that straight wire approach um but so even digitally i'll, I'll do very little because there's just too many places where you can screw that up um and not get it right oh i've found that yes yeah smart so, with it, you know? so so i would say that wrapping here mm -hmm. I, I i would say that don't be afraid to make mistakes don't be afraid to test something nobody has to hear it but you you know don't and 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 don't compromise yeah. you know don't don't compromise on yourself because great records have been made on Tascam Porta Studios and great records were made on 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 iPhones um and it's really how you approach the information that you've just given us as a as a guide you know and and you said a jumping off point yeah I, I agree I think it should be first and foremost it should be a lot of fun and it is a really fun thing to do and it's like you just hinted at that kind of brings us all the way back to the beginning it it's really just comes back to the performance so if you if if all you got out of this was you know Eric's nuts <laughs> I'm just going to record this on my iPhone then that's great but that time that you spent with the metronome and really working out your arrangement is going to be really what makes a great recording so if it's scratchy and it's mono and it's out of phase and you use too much reverb but you've just written this really amazing song that connects with people emotionally then then none of that stuff matters but if you do want to go down the rabbit hole because it is kind of fun and now is a great time to jump in because so much of this gear is so affordable and so easy and um, now's a great time to do it. And, and just taking from what you said, yeah, practice is the thing. It's a really, yeah. I think with guys in particular, I don't, I don't know why I said that, but I know it's really <laughs> easy to just kind of drift away on your laptop and just research gear. I mean, all of this would be better if I just got this microphone versus that microphone. I'll look up it up on the forum and just, you know, just sort of forage information forever and never actually get around to recording. That's a real common trap, you know. I just like to tell students pertaining to guitar playing and and that you know you there's just so many things in life that are like it it's like you can't learn to swim from a book right <laughs> yeah. I mean that I don't advise it um there are some things that you really just need to get in the water and do and you know beating the swimming analogy into the ground maybe with somebody else probably with the smartest thing I've ever done with recording even though I've sat in like I said in the beginning, so many recording studios and 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 sort of co-produced all you know, my albums and 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 done a lot of it. It wasn't until sort of recently, maybe in the last four or five years, that I just paid an engineer just to, you know, just to go in and answer my question, just like, um, look, look, give me a lesson, you know, and 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 to get it right. You know, that's jumping in the pool with somebody who actually knows how to swim. That can be a a huge thing but the main thing is don't get too caught up in in researching it and and all the internet stuff um but just actually get in there and uh click on your microphones and start recording and listening back oh can i make one more little point that i just i'm sorry 
I promise I won't rant too much about this, but I just wrote this on my list of things that I wanted to talk about. It's the last thing, and it's the most important thing. And that's the, the incredible power of reference tracks. So a lot of times we get in and we twist knobs and, you know, well, that sounds better. Hey, that sounds better. That sounds better. Louder is always better. And you, you don't put it this way. I think if that you, if you wanted to cook, you should really learn how to eat, <laughs> you know, in other words, sometimes if you get like a really great sandwich and you take a bite and you think, wow, that's a great sandwich. Well, that's, that's true. And you're excited and that that's wonderful, but that's really a kind of a consumer mindset, I guess, literally about it. But if you can bite in that sandwich and think, you know, now that I'm really thinking about it with this on my palate, I'm getting that there's like lemon in here. It's bright. It's acid. It's got this high end, right? Um, but you know, not only do I taste teas, but I, I I can tell that it's smoked, and I really enjoyed that crunch on the way in. But it's also kind of juicy and <laughs> on the way, you know, like you, if you can really uh, listen to something and try to understand what's happening in it, that's kind of number one. So not just this song sounds great, not just this song makes me that remember that old you know, there's time I ever kissed somebody or something, but really like, what's, why do I like this? Is this really bright? Is this really dark? Does it sound like it's close? Does it sound like it's far? Does it sound like it's wide? Does it sound like it's narrow? Try to understand, dissect and understand the things that you're listening to and make notes about your preferences. That's number one. Number two, when you're mixing, you want to mix a little bit and then put on a record I like have a couple records um, that are like kind of lifelong, but they come and go too. what I call reference tracks or palate cleansers. Right. So let's say you have a record. Um, maybe you're a bluegrasser and it's like uh, maybe it's the this is a this is a good one for me. Actually, it would be like Tony Rice's intro to Manzanita on his uh, unit of measure record. It's the first time I ever heard a guitar sound like a like a piano, like a flat pick guitar. It sound like a giant grand piano or something. Right. So let's say you love that recording and you know you love it. You love it in your car. <laughs> you love it in your house. You love it on your headphones. Your friends all tell you it's great. You know this is objectively great. Um, so you go and you listen to your recording and you're not trying to copy it, but then you put on that for a second and you go back to yours and then you suddenly realize the contrast like, oh my God, I didn't realize that mine's like an ice pick bright and it sounds really far away. So that going back and forth between reference tracks um, is how, and sometimes it's for five seconds, that palate cleanser idea um, is just absolutely the most valuable thing you can do. You probably can't copy it. You can't. There are different people doing different things in different rooms with different guitars and microphones. But if nothing else, it can kind of really suddenly shine a light on, on this. You know, you've, you've done like 10 moves. You don't realize how you're going further and further away from from maybe what you should. And then suddenly you listen to this thing um, and it's great. And last thing that goes with that is I, I'm a big fan since I can't, you know, do a, a fancy remodel <laughs> of my office here and make a great sounding room. I really love headphones because um, they, they eliminate the room and that's a great, you know, cost saver. And um, you should listen to your reference tracks on your headphones at the same volume um because then you know the, now your room now your room is being eliminated so that's another big part of my process but i digress 
That no, that that's exactly what I wanted to bring up. One, the idea of the reference tracks is brilliant. I never heard that, and I think that's the greatest takeaway I'm going to have from this. Is I need to figure out how to set that up because that really makes sense. But two, we talk about listening to all this, and I think that that that's the the last part of this chain that really needs to be looked at. Headphones are a great way to do it, but I was wondering if you had feedback on using monitors using PA speakers, uh, going out and listening in your 62 Belvedere on the AM radio. Um, you know, those are the experiences that you need to kind of figure into this as well. Uh, and that can be the tricky part. Yeah, so your monitor, I have two monitors. <laughs> of course I have two. <laughs> so I have some monitors in front of me right now. These are uh, Atom AX5s or something. These are about $1,000 a pair. They're very nice. Uh, but that's nothing, <laughs> you know, you could spend 10,000 on a pair, uh, you could spend $200 a pair, but some sort of monitors is a nice thing. Um, but no matter what you have, you're listening to them in a room and that room has a tremendous influence. So we talked about how the room influences things that on the way in and it's getting baked in and now on the way out, and especially if it's in the same room, um, you might have this sort of base buildup in your room. That's a thing you can look up. And now you're hearing it for the second time coming out of your speakers. And now you're making adjustments for it that are phenomenal if only you listen to your music in only your room for the rest of your life. But maybe your friend can go out in their car and go, geez, Eric likes that bright recording, you know? Um, so we're looking for the most neutral thing we can. So like people who are, I have friends uh, that uh, are mastering engineers and they're usually guys who spend a lot of money on monitors and a lot of money on getting the rooms as neutral as possible. So it sounds as best as consistently good in as many of, of all of the possible scenarios that it's going to get heard, you know? So that's a deep thing. And, and so that's why I like headphones because I'm just eliminating all of that. Like I surrender. I, I know my room isn't great. I, my headphones are nice. I mean, my, um, uh, my um, monitors are nice, but they're not, you know, super crazy world class, but headphones eliminate a lot of that. It's a little controversial. Maybe if I was making a pop record and there was a big sound stage, right? There's all of these different instruments, then your headphones, that sort of immediacy of them at, might accept, might, sorry, adversely affect how you create your stereo image, like where everybody sits. But I'm just recording like an acoustic guitar, or I'm just recording me and my friend who plays the acoustic guitar or the mandolin. These are not giant recordings. And and by the way, if even if I was worried about that, I would just go listen to my favorite reference track of two guitar players playing together and listen to that on headphones. And then once that's sunk in, now I would make it till mine kind of sounds like that or sort of to the best of my ability. But again, it's the power of reference tracks in terms of the stereo image. But I like headphones. Um, for recording, if you're going to do overdubbing, which I never do, you want what's are called closed back headphones, which mean, you know, they're what you think. It's like they 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 don't let any of the the sound in. Don't use noise canceling because I just those are good. For, I, I like those for meditation or for when we were um, living with uh, three different you know twenty somethings during the pandemic. But <laughs> but sound wise, the, the compromise I I personally think they're terrible. But I think just a $150 pair of like Audio-Technica, uh, what are they, like M50X or I can't remember what they're called, but there's like a total industry standard. God, they sound great. 
close back, good for walking around, good if you have to overdub. For mixing and for serious listening, you want open back headphones. Right now I'm, um, I'm um, wearing a pair of my very favorites. These are about $400, um, so not, not the end of the world, but, but, but more than you know, the average person thinks they would spend for headphones maybe. But these are called Sennheiser HD650s, and they're, they're absolute industry standard. And you know, if you listen to a couple of your favorite albums with 650s, which are plugged into my interface. That interface is giving me that analog on the way out. So they're not going through the computer, but they're going to the interface. It's a better headphone amplifier than listening to your directly from your computer or from your iPhone. But listening to a favorite album through HD 650s or similar, but these are pretty standard um, and popular for what it's worth. It, it can be a really transformative experience. Like you'll remember when I earlier I was using the analogy of biting into a sandwich and tasting seven or eight different ingredients, like you're able to separate those in your mind, a good pair of headphones and a good pair of uh, monitors um, really can allow you to separate those things. Those things aren't quite mushed together in the same way. The frequencies have more um, identifiable separateness. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I'm digging myself in the, into a ground here. It, it, hopefully that makes sense. But that open back thing, uh, means I can actually, I can hear my, you know, these would be terrible for um, overdubbing because you can hear what's happening in the room at the same time. Basically, they're like speakers that are held up close to your head. They're not like any sort of noise cancellation, but they sound really, really natural. Um, so that's always been my solution for, and I can go in the other room and they basically sound the same. So if I get tired of this chair, I can go sit in the other chair with my laptop and continue mixing the same, same recording. One of my favorite mixers uh, in the rock world, <laughs> and well, all does a lot of different stuff. is Andrew Sheps, and he 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 mixes everything um, he does, you know, on um, you know like Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, big 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 stuff, you know, all on headphones. So if he can do it, you can do it. Perfect, perfect. Well, Eric, thank you. Hey, yeah. my pleasure. What what a what a primer. Um, I, there's about ten other podcasts in it, um, <laughs> uh, it, it and and and, it, and it's the way it is. But but it, you got the basics, you know. Do no harm. Um, listen, practice. Mm -hmm. You know, good coffee. Really, that's, that's <laughs> where it starts. That's the yeah, beginning. That is yeah. the beginning. If anybody has questions, you can always go to ericsky.com and I think you can find my email address from there if you need help with your recording or... Or if you're looking for a producer of a project or something like that, you might want to get in touch with Eric. Shoot me an email. I'm not the fastest responder, but I'll eventually, I will respond and i um, happy to help. I love talking about this stuff. My wife won't talk about this stuff with me, so you're doing me a favor. <laughs> <laughs> really, she doesn't have to listen to this on our walk tomorrow. There you go. Thank you so much, buddy. We'll uh, we'll be in touch. I, sure. I hope everybody enjoyed this. Um, we certainly did, and um, we'll want to talk to you in uh, January when um, the new record's out. Okay, happy to. Okay, perfect. Looking right. forward. Anything That's else? Good. Everybody, good. That's all I know. <laughs> Great. Thanks very much. Have a good day and get out and enjoy some of that warm Portland weather. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye.
We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.